0: Constructed criticism. Mason still doesn't have internet, but we're still here. Mason, what's going on, man? Like, you you made me feel bad that you were getting Google Google Fiber. It's something I want really bad, and then that's just not true.
1: I mean, it is true. I just have to wait for the box thing to get set up by now.
0: But hold on, hold on. You said you're always improving. Moment, not last week, but the week before. Was that you would have internet the next week. You're just lying to the listeners.
1: am not the guy said that was a free moment.
0: Did I? I think you made a joke about it, yeah.
1: Oh, I, I
0: I would never joke. Never. Not once. Not once. No. Abe, it's nice to have you back. Are you excited to be here?
2: It's really good to be back. Also, Mason, just remember that jokes are admissible in the court
1: of law. So
0: that is factual. Um Did you have a verbal
1: contracts or binding in the state of Tennessee?
0: Uh, actually, there's a lot of places that verbal contract, I don't want to get into politics, but I actually think verbal contracts should be binding in a lot of cases. So. Well,
1: let's get into some contracts
0: after this episode of
1: Constructor Crisis. Yeah,
0: let's go. The first thing, and always the thing to talk about in this podcast is being always improving. It's the point of the show. We want to be better today than we were yesterday. And it's, it's a lot of work. And I think that none of us pretend that it's not a lot of work. But Abe, you missed last week's show. I'm really curious. Over the last few weeks, what have you been doing to be Always Improving?
2: Yeah, so um, the last two weeks, my Always Improving moment has been just actually playing the matches of like every deck I was actually considering for the RC. Really getting into the nitty-gritty of understanding a lot of the dynamics and play patterns of the format beyond just a bird's-eye view. Um, Really getting the hours in and... Turning that, you know, now ultimately into a deck list for the RC. Um, and especially through using, you know, the kind of process I talked about for a few months now that I've been working on, um, implementing that in a way that was like, like, obviously, I was like, okay, this is the plan is I'm going to like lay out all these problem statements, I'm going to play mindfully um, to maximize my time. But then actually, like, getting into the games and then kind of adjusting those on the fly, you know, playing games beyond just the goal of like answering the question, but understanding the other things I was learning, um, and other patterns I was seeing within that. Um, it was just a really, really cool experience of kind of merging the things I want to, to start doing and the things that I already knew how to do. Um, and that was, that was my always improvement for the last uh, two weeks.
0: Yeah. Mine, mine is really similar for what it's worth. I, I think that Abe and I, we've talked about this on multiple shows are both really process oriented people. And, um, you know, I have a piece of uh, an article that's like unedited, and I want to be clear that the article unedited. I haven't even revised it since the last post after recording a video that will go up before this podcast, a video in an art, uh, audio version of that about rules of engagement. And the way that I approached this RC was also process-oriented, Abe. where I wrote down what I believe the biggest rules of engagement were, and actually edited those a lot of times where, like, I removed rules that I felt like other rules answered for rules of engagement for standard. And then I picked my deck accordingly. Uh, and and the way that I did that was like... And I talked about this last week on the show, but it, it really solidified it. Um, I, I, I knew that I was down to, like, two or three decks. And that if my theory didn't work, I was going to play Grixis. And that if my theory did work, I was going to play one of two decks. Fun fact, both of the decks that I was going to play, I believe, passed my rules of engagement. But they didn't pass them in the same way. And also, I I think that I'm the believer that rules are meant to be broken. And a lot of people that messaged me like, to try and understand rules of engagement were like, Spencer, like, you. I know you've ended up on this deck. Uh, if you don't believe it passes this rule, how do you justify it? And I was like, oh... I believe that this deck ignores this rule for this benefit. And um, it it was a really cool thing that I had been thinking about in Magic for kind of a few months. I, I, You guys might be able to tell me better than me. And so for me, like, challenging myself as far as, like, why am I picking the deck that I'm picking? Why am I eliminating X deck or Y deck? And does it fit with these rules was, like... Really important to me. And, um, you know, I, I have a 3,000 plus word unedited article up on Patreon. A Audio and video will be uh, on there with this. And that's not even to promote our Patreon as much as, like, the work that I put in on this theory I had about approaching a format. And what's really cool is that right or wrong, I believe that I've actually... Proven to myself this way of picking a deck that will not lock me into bad decks in the future, which I think I've had a weakness for. Where like I really wanted to play X or Y card, and if anybody knows me, um, I'll, I'll just spoil this for early later in the show. Like I'm gonna play mono white at the RC, and I think that if you had asked Mason to stack rank the decks that I would play in standard going into this RC before testing. I would guess Mason would put Mono White at last place.
1: Yeah, definitely would.
0: Like, not, not even like a little bit last place. Like, I just believe that it follows the rules of engagement that I've set out or ignores the right ones. And that's a huge always improving moment for me. Where I'm like, okay, well, I just believe this is the right deck for this tournament. Even if I'm wrong, I'm following a, my rule of having a reason and a plan. And that's good enough for me.
1: Awesome. Yeah. My always improvement moment over the last week has been uh, a little bit different than y'all's. And I have just been working really hard on trying to get sort of uh, Google slideshows together for coaching. Um, and it's been really interesting because a lot of these things I have been talking about and doing in coaching, but I had them in this slideshow presentation way and having to a, make sure that I'm structuring what I think is, like, the optimal way for multiple people, like, for a broad circle of people to see and experience and engage with this sort of uh, lesson concept or idea has been a really interesting sort of puzzle to try and figure out, like, what's the best way to teach and show this to somebody. Because so often I, like, you know, ask the person, and I can still do this when doing it, but I can be, like, you know, like, hey, like, what have you played this format, you know? And, like, oh, you haven't, okay, what about this, you know? And having that sort of... Uh, real life experience they can draw on when teaching a concept, I think is sometimes really helpful. So sort of looking through and doing that and working on that just to make coaching more efficient for them and have more of like an engaging thing they can follow. So it's not, you know, just also conversational based all the time, Uh, which is, you know, what 95% of coaching is for me is just talking with people. So having this sort of outline guide and when to do that, it's really important to me and really important, I think, for helping them.
0: Now, I I think that like, any way that you're able to, I think this helps you too in a lot of ways, Mason, when you're able to gather data that you need to help people easier, but you're also able to gather data and say like, oh, maybe I'm not the right coach for you. Or maybe I'm like, or maybe like you need help in this area or this area way faster. And it, it lets you <laughs> exemplify your strengths as a coach um, where you can see needs and also like direct them. Where in other areas, or even research your own gaps as a coach. Mm-hmm. I, I really like this.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's just been interesting, sort of figuring out the slideshows and stuff like that. And I, there's not really tangible for people, listeners. that if there was anything you can get from it, it is just sometimes you're going to hit walls and things that are really hard. And it's important to remember that things will better on the other side of them. And you can just kind of like jam your head into and it, figure it out. And you'll make mistakes, and that's okay. And you're just you know. You're gonna come out smarter. If you learn something from it. You might not be giga brain, but you'll learn the lesson along the way, and it's worth it.
0: Yeah, one of the really cool things that you can do is get access to all of us in Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/ccmdg. If you want me to be a patron of five dollars or more, you get access to the Discord. Patreon ten dollars or more you get free entry into our quarterly open, which we'll be talking about a bit. But I just want to give a shout out to two of our newest patrons, Nick and Cody. Um, it just Every time that I get to do the shout outs, it means the world to me I know it means the world to these guys, but I just really love having an opportunity to just thank the people that are supporting us directly, that have gotten something enough out of the show that they feel like that it's time to give back. And yeah, it just, it means a lot.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh,
0: Let's move on to housekeeping. Uh, I I got multiple messages about our fake ads. And I talked about this last week, I think, but I'm going to just say again, we're not going to do a fake out this week. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking for a sponsor on this podcast. The type of sponsor we're looking for is somebody that our listeners can get value out of and that we can also see ourselves aligning with and things like that. So, um, you know, we, we've turned down sponsors in the past and we don't want to turn you down. So reach out and like let's figure out a way to make this happen. Uh, really quick, Swag Store update. Uh, we got more people going into the Swag Store as a way to support the podcast directly. You just go to patri- uh, ContractorCritism.com and you just hit on Swag. There's a store for uh, ContractorCritism and drafting archetypes and then soon-to-be Mythicast too. It's one of the best ways to support the show directly. Um, and there will be an update to the store. I got a t-shirt from the store this week. I didn't like the layout of it. I didn't like the size fitting of it. And so uh, by the time this podcast goes up, it will be fixed. We will have different t-shirts in that store and things like that. So, uh, yeah.
2: Even our swag store is always improving.
0: It's true. It really is. Uh, We announced this last week, but I'm going to keep hammering it home. Uh, And this will be up probably not the time of the podcast, but before the RC is... The open date uh, for the MTG Melee event for the CCMTG Open uh, it is 4:23:23 for the next one. That is a Sunday. It is Pioneer on MTGO. It is sponsored by KFave Cards. You might have seen them on the Flush and Blood uh, Pro Tour. You might have seen them on the Pokemon National scene. They are a local store here in Utah. Um, former SCG Grinders. Really great way to support it. Um, first place, two hundred dollars credit to them and a trophy. Second, hundred dollars, fifty for third and fourth, twenty five for eight, fifth through eighth, uh, and then um, additional prizes based on attendance that can be more to the top eight, more of to the top sixteen, depending on how many people. Um, and the other thing you have to do is when you check out from kfa Cards, you just mark as pick up in store and then call them, and then they will take off the credit and ship it to you anyway. So. They they did a workaround for us. They really are excited about what we're doing. And even though they're a TCG Pro store, they want to support this show and create a workaround with us. And I, 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 I don't know you guys like, that's an always a proven moment. Like, oh, like, here's the hindrance that we have sponsoring shows and giving away credit. Let's figure out a way to do it. And I, I don't know. I think that, like, speaks to this podcast really well.
2: Yeah, it really shows that there are people who are willing to go the extra mile to... To take care of take care of you and, and to make things happen for for you guys in the show, so I'm I'm really really happy working with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, let's go to the main topic. I want to talk about the standard before the standard. Let's talk about the standard before there. See, you would think this would be a dream podcast for me, Abe.
2: I feel like there have been times where this is the only thing you would have wanted to do a podcast on, and we're like, come on, we got to talk about modern
0: Yeah, I don't. Uh, here's the thing this might be one of the best standard formats ever and i'm uh, i won't pretend that i am not as hyped as i think that i would be but that being said we got some really good data that i want us to talk about first before we kind of get into this open discussion it's a little bit different than our other podcasts uh historically like we have really detailed show notes where we dive into things I really love using Frank Karsten data. It's actually, like, one of the ways that our podcast came to be, right? Like, we used the Frank Karsten method of ranking decks, uh, adjusted a little bit to, like, rank our own decks uh, for our power rankings. And I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, both of you are qualified for this, Mason, you're not going, but, like, what did you guys think of the last three regional championship data, is there any, like, major takeaways we should cover before we talk about the format as a whole? I I would love you to go first.
2: I'm sorry, can you state the question one more time? I I didn't quite get how it was worded.
0: Going into this event, uh, Frank Carson came out with his typical data post about, like, here's the data from the last three RCs. And I'm wondering, before we go too deep into the format, was there any major takeaways that, people, that you noticed to help you or that people should have noticed going into this event?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, in looking at this data, there's like a very clear, well, it's, it's a very clear trend towards things that um, have kind of popped up or been kind of breakout decks. Uh, at the RCs being at the top of, of the win rates. You know, I think we've seen these come out over the last couple of weeks, and it's been, you know, uh, Green-White-Toxic did really, really well, was a huge outlier. Um, you know, Grixis continued to kind of fall behind. Esper Legends had its breakout week. But over time, what we're really seeing in the data overall is an ability for all of the decks to take into consideration all of the other decks and adapt. And so, you know, when I'm looking at this data and I've been looking at it as I prepare, um, what really drives me to be uh, like like towards a deck or to feel really confident in a deck is when I feel like it is withstanding those changes, right? Like when I look at something like uh, like Grixis having, you know, basically a 50-50 win rate just just below um with the most matches played uh, across the board it says a lot to me about well you know that that's what crisis is you're gonna you're gonna kind of win most of your matches or you're gonna have it not go your way um and so there's not really much that people will adapt to but looking at esper which was you know a breakout deck uh one week kind of fall to I'm going to say only 52%, 52% is a very, very good win rate, but to not hold that level of dominance that it held over the European RC weekends through the rest of the RCs um, and kind of, you know, have a lot of pilots that's picked up popularity, not have that same success, uh, it really shows just how much it is important to be in the right place in the metagame but also doing something that is thinking about what's going on around you, because that's why a breakout deck is towards the top every week, is because it's doing something to the play patterns and to the ways that people are constructing their decks that is giving it that big edge, and that's really what the standard format is about. Is It's a lot less about you know tuning two or three sideboard cards, um, or at least over the last few RCs it's been a lot less about tuning these three or four sideboard cards and a lot more about making sure that your archetype overall is just well-positioned and is doing the right things. And so, you know, as much as, you know, this data says Celestia Enchantments and uh, Rakdos Midrange are like the two best decks, Rakdos Midrange actually does have a huge sample of matches, uh, about as many as um, any of the the kind of first-tier standard decks, despite being a lot less popular of a choice than Grixis. And for it to still have that win rate says to me that it's doing the right thing. So really looking at the trends, not only in the win rates of the data, but how that kind of collates, how that comes together over the events. And um, you know then kind of examining, why is it that something like Rakdos has a higher win rate than something like Grixis? Um, you know, when the decks are kind of similar in structure and breaking that down has been really my biggest use of this data uh, over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. and. Go ahead. Yeah, and for me, the, the thing that's really been telling and it's been interesting is just how bad so many people and we all are, where people are like, oh, Grixis is obviously through the thing and like da-da-da-da-da, it's the only thing. And you know, to what Ape said, that you know every week, basically the thing that did the best was the thing that was attacking the format in a way. And a lot of it started with Grixis, right? And that's not to say Grixis wasn't good or Grixis is an unplayable deck, but it is to say that, you know, the metagame differed and evolved uh, and like it was a healthy format. So people were able to attack and adapt to the thing to like the best deck. And Grixis was just the most solved deck early on in the format because it was the thing that had been played the most people like Nathan Stewart and Ely Cassis played it so much at worlds that it, you know, just sort of opened up the metagame to it. uh, And like we had a really good solved uh, quote unquote solved deck. And so, you know, as time went on, it bore out to be a normal mid range deck and it wasn't unbeatable and people who just very quickly wrote off and didn't try to put the work in, uh, got punished accordingly.
0: Yeah. So I, I had a few high level things. Um, mostly what Mason said was really true to me or like, I think you said a lot of it too, we're like, I think that Grixis got one. I think it's way overplayed. Um, and, you know, just looking at the data, the initial thing that I thought of is how, of the decks that, like, I considered, six of the eight of them ha- were in the positive win percentage in this format. And I don't know how many formats I've been able to say that six decks had a positive win percentage in the field. Like, ever, in standard. And so, like, I, I made a tweet a-, a few weeks ago, maybe, I was like, this might be the best standard format of all time. When you, like, if you're, like, a modern player, this is, like, your standard format. Uh, I don't think that's what I said, but it is what I meant um, for a lot of people. And overall, I, I think that the, the data really suggests that, like, you get rewarded for understanding your role in this this format. And you see that from, like, uh, you know, Grixis midrange having a technical negative win percentage, Model Blue Tempo having a technical negative win percentage, and even Celesnia Toxic having a technical negative win percentage over the last three RCs, where, you know, trying to do too much can overload your deck uh, and make it not as good. One of the key takeaways that I had from this, and, you know, we'll get into this, is that uh, there were only... I'm going to double-check myself before I wreck myself... No, I'm I'm right. There is exactly one deck that only has one negative matchup of the major matchups, and that is mono white. Um, and I got another phone call with Matt Kling about the deck that I like. He already knew that I was close to to registering mono white, and you know, historically, this is something that I would overthink myself on. And when I saw the Frank and I was like, alright, well, I already think Soldiers is a bad deck and that you shouldn't play it. So if that's my only bad matchup of the major decks, I'm pretty happy to register this. Um, I don't know. That that was like one of my major takeaways, and it, it's a little bit of a biased takeaway. Uh, my other one was that like, Rakdos Reanimator had a positive win percentage against the field. I don't know how you guys felt about that, but that was something else I wanted to bring up.
2: Have you played against that deck much, Spencer?
0: I have literally never played against that deck. However, looking at the lists that I think that people are likely to register for the LCQs, I think that deck is a really good LCQ deck.
2: Yeah, I've
0: been kind of surprised by it in,
2: like, my testing against it. I think it still has a lot of the structural weaknesses of the reanimator decks, but I think it's really, really good against everything that isn't Esper. So I, I would definitely say that deck's kind of like a, a bit of a sleeper. It's not really talked about a lot. Um, so I'm not actually that surprised that it has a like winning percentage against the field. I think it's also just kind of playing enough of the good cards to be good against kind of the the other swath of the format. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's a deck that I think has... It's just a little too dicey. I think I think having a fail rate makes it so that in a, an event like an RC, I'm pretty averse to it, but it's definitely a deck that you, you should really be respecting because it does it has kind of flown under the radar despite its uh, its definite strength.
1: It, it has the problem of it is perceived as a meme deck so people don't care about it, which is like also kind of a flaw that doing so well in the first week when everything started where you know the, the very first challenge and events right were dominated by like these red white portal to Phyrexia and attracts the decks, you know, like people were dominating with these reanimator strategies, and then they got beaten pretty quickly because they were, you know, sort of all-in decks exploiting something, which is totally fine for a deck to be. Um, you know, it's very similar to like Toxic, for example, but then the deck kind of adapted and became more real in a lot of ways, and I think players just didn't give it the respect because they're like, oh, that's just like the meme deck or whatever, or like, oh, that deck's not a real deck, it's just a reanimator deck, and players, I think, often sort of do that. Um, and it, 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 unfortunately, sometimes it's a bad thing for a deck. So,
0: you know, one of the, the, the biggest regrets that I have, and I'd like to kind of move into this open discussion because I think we've talked about the data quite a bit. And we were obviously like, that doesn't mean we can't reference the data for the rest of this open conversation. But one of the things that I thought about looking at the data is like, we did our power rankings, and almost all of that was based off of the RCs. And they were the early RCs where Grixis was dominant, right? And Mm -hmm. the other thing is, is like, if you look at the challenges, they really match the early RCs, where the challenges got to dictate the early RCs. But as the format evolved, Paper actually started to out-evolve MTGO. And I I think that that's worth calling out. Like, I, I, I know that we have... You know, Mono White starting to do well in the challenges all of a sudden. And We have, uh, you know, just different. Like, yeah, I think a Soldier Jack won one of the challenges this weekend. Like, they're they're just the challenges needed to catch up to the metagame.
2: Power people trying, maybe.
1: Well, also we no, hey, to I, I, the high data, right?
0: To to be worth, to be worth, or to, be worth uh, to be clear, like I think historically in standard since the pandemic the challenges dictated what the best decks were a lot and that just wasn't the case the last few weeks Mm
1: -hmm.
2: yeah i mean i'm a big believer in that incentives really drive what people do and so when you look at the incentive and we've kind of talked about this before on episodes with uh where we talk a lot more about magic online specifically but the incentive in doing well in a standard challenge is, like, pretty low, and in a lot of the Magic Online events is pretty low, and it comes few and far between the standard. The fact we've had now, what, like, five very meaningful paper standard events all connected to each other, kind of week after week, Um, you know, even when, like, Esper Legends popped up and was, like, had its breakout performance in, um, in the European RC, like, immediately it went and won that that challenge on on Ma- at magic online because it was like, Oh, this deck is validated. It's obviously very good and it's doing well, it is
0: such a sharp departure from the episode that we just did before that. Right.
2: Right. But, but the thing is that that has to come from like, why is it that the moto players don't do that is because they don't have as much of a reason to as people who really want to succeed, qualify for the pro tour, qualify for worlds, right? When you look at the things that are on the table for the people playing in paper, they're a lot more incentivized to really give it their all and commit their time to it. And I feel like before that, and this is really the power of organized play, right? Before that, it was very much the opposite. If you were playing standard, it was really only ever online that you were playing any events that mattered for standard. And seeing how that has changed that, it's very real, you know? Seeing how having, and we saw the same thing in Pioneer. Once you see that players in paper are going to have to do that work. You have a lot of the best minds who would be doing it on Magic Online anyway, working together and in a focused way, trying to really push it and break it. And like, you see that play out. And I don't want to like, take too much away from Grixis being really good because it really is. Um, like, you know, it it comes in at like a, like basically 50-50 winner. I think it was like two matches below 500 uh, out of like, 600 matches or something um maybe like 300 matches but no 600 matches so you know when you consider it's the most played deck and that win rate is adjusted with mirrors out of it that's a lot of matches to be winning in the hands of everyone right if you have a deck that you can come in and you can say that if you are more prepared to have a better list there's edges to be gained on top of that grixis is still amazing right you're going to be getting 50 at least but if you're someone who's coming in below, you might lose some of those points and it averages out to the middle. Um, and that's really the kind of thing that if you're playing Magic Online is going to be what you're going to gravitate towards. Because either there's not a ton of churn, so you don't have to worry about necessarily having that list updated. And if you're going to be gaining those edges in play, you're going to be guaranteed above 50% and your day will come. But now that we see that there's real incentive for a lot of people to do a lot of their own work, um, you know, I definitely think that it's changed a lot about how standard works and has shown that the format does not have to be the way that it was the fact that people want to play decks i mean all of the decks that we're talking about as kind of being pop-up contenders every last one of them their mission statement is i'm going to beat grixis in this way right with esperates i'm going to like have this strong aggressive proactive start but I was going to back it up with um, Wedding Announcements to make sure I can outgrind them and outpressure them because they don't have a real answer to that kind of card. For Mono White, it's I'm going to take the game super long and force the Grixis decks that are kind of looking towards um, the aggressive decks to, like, I'm going to push them out. So, you know, I I think the format is still kind of at a spot of trying to uh, fight against Grixis but it's kind of about picking how you want to do that and now it really as we come towards the end of it is getting to be about how do you fight against things fighting against grixis all of these different angles of attack how do you incorporate those into what you're doing
1: yeah i also think i, I agree with, like everything abe said i would just also note the difference in seven round events and 14 round events is huge really like has things churned to the top that are like actually good and not to say that standard talents don't do that but you can get by with a lot of different stuff um, when you need to go, you know, five zero to top eight. You know, I know they've been big, you know, before it was like 5 to top eight. And now it's like, yeah, you 5 the RC, do it two more times. We'll talk about, you know, you having a good finish. You know what I mean? And so I think that that is a pretty big difference in tournaments. And it's a big difference for a lot of players, too. Not a lot of players in the new age have actually played 14, 15-round tournaments. So...
0: I think we've hinted at this, but like, is there decks to beat that like we haven't mentioned?
1: I mean, Mono Blue, a deck that is pretty good again because of things circling around. Uh, like it has serious, serious problems with things like Grixis and Red Black, um, Esper, but like if you think Mono White's a good deck, which basically every single person and every single group I've been in has been kind of like, oh, I think Mono White's pretty good this week or whatever. Uh, Mono Blue makes it like some sense of the thing to attack that deck so just
0: to be uh, clear I, I i i wanted to double check so mono blue's best matchup by a substantial margin according to the data is grixis
1: okay sure i i can totally believe that
0: yeah so so <laughs> i, I want to clear like that literally is purpose to dunk on grixis the way that it's built
1: yeah, I think you could also build it to dunk on like mono white too, right? Like it'd be really easy to put a bunch of negates in your main deck and like strokes in the sideboard, and then just you know like they can never resolve anything. So um, according to
0: the data, it actually has a 38% win percentage against mono white.
1: You, you're telling me you over eight win? matches?
0: Oh, is it only it's eight it. matches?
1: It's yeah, it's eight matches, and also the I. I don't really care about that because I'm talking about, like, theoretically you could change your deck, right? So, that. so
0: hey. let, let me... I, I, I'm going to just, just disagree with you here. I think that sure. you would have to build your mono-white deck to really focus on the wrong things to not be able to beat a deck that doesn't do anything.
2: Like, I don't know. I mean, my experience playing mono-white, I felt that mono-blue was pretty close. It really comes down to the fact that they can flow... And out muscle so, you that way. So
0: flow, I do think is a problem card. I will not disagree with that. Like and I think I, I think there I, are draws
2: were like a haughty gin. A single haughty gin attack can kill you. I think that that's like that. That's pretty real I think for mono white. I think that's
0: the power of that deck. Right, is that you can construct a lot of games. For that to be true.
2: Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's pretty good structurally against mono
1: white. Some I, but of I, the time, but I, but it I do doesn't line up that, all like, the time.
0: One of the reasons that I was really considering mono blue. Early in this tournament is because like, it just dunks on Grixis, and I didn't want to pretend that it didn't. Because I I do believe that it does. I actually think that it's like its best matchup by a substantial margin.
1: Okay, sure. I, I totally believe that. I have not been like in the streets with mono blue recently. Um, it was more just a, a deck that we hadn't mentioned yet, and for going to the conversation about the mono white thing, I would try to play my games and in a way that I would work towards resolving a big hottie gen after flowing and have a lot of counters for your uh, elements that actually matter because the mono-white deck doesn't have many cards that super close the game out quickly. And I can set up like a hottie gen and then slip out the back. And If I have like two of those, I can dodge most of your removal and it would yeah. probably just kill I, you.
0: I really like it. And that. so I would play,
1: play the games towards that end state.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I, I think that um, when you kind of think about the way that not just mono-white is is constructed but like the, one of the things that mono blue is really good at to, to Mason's point is constructing the game.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't think that there's a lot of decks. I, I think, I, I think that that's actually something I learned from mono blue that I've been applying to Mono white, but like Esper doesn't get to do that because they're like a curve out deck. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you look at something like, uh, you know, you look at something like, um, mono red they don't get to do that they only get they only get one mode uh i think the same thing is true for example of toxic and i i agree i think mono blue the number of players that have just said like i, I was in keyfabe games the other day one of the, the people uh was like you know i, I talked about it being a top deck and they're like i think this deck is unplayable i was like i don't think the data supports that like i i think that the data says this deck is real and you know this is uh the the johns of smash and magic happening where like you have a belief that something's not real so when you lose to it it doesn't matter but like the truth Mm -hmm. is is i do think that like mono blue has its really clear weaknesses but those weaknesses are like really aggressive decks yeah so i agree yeah, I, I think
1: the blue deck suffers from a similar thing when we talked about the Black Ream Deck of being a meme, quote-unquote, in people's minds. And as such, it just gets disregarded to what you were saying. That's been sort of like, yeah, I lost it, but who cares? It's not a real deck and someone moves on. And how many times are you going to lose before that's not true? You know?
0: Are there... So we uh, we we've talked about most of the stuff. Is there... Should we, should we talk about well, what we were trying to attack and what we were playing it.
2: Yeah, I mean, my when I when I was laying out like the things that are really important to me, I think that um, obviously Grixis and by extension therefore Rakdos, but you know, uh, Bloodtide Harvester, Fable Shieldred, etc., mid-range is extremely important. It, it's the first thing you need to make sure you have a plan for. If you're coming into the tournament without knowing how it is you plan to beat that, you are coming to the tournament with the wrong idea. Because, like I said, every single deck in the format is predicated on having a plan that dismantles or makes uncomfortable some piece of the Grixis game plan. Um, So that was really still step one for me. That's, like, number one deck to beat. And then it's kind of gotten into, like, where do I think... um, you know, the format is headed this week. How do I think people are going to be tuning in to attack it? And I think, really, the recent success of Mono White, uh, taking down both Canadian RCs, um, you know, having good performances online, is kind of, uh, to me, pushing the format to line up so that this weekend, I think we're going to see a lot more of things like Esper, a lot more of the uh, faster, aggressive decks, that really punish kind of the the slow slog that Mono White's trying to win. And um, yeah, just in general, an uptick in people playing game plans that are going to be proactive to kind of punish the biggest weakness of Mono White, which is that its early game and its answers like can be so few and far between. Um, and so that's kind of where I think... Things like, obviously, every deck is going to come with a plan for Grixis, but all of the other decks people are going to play are going to come with a plan for Mono White um, secondarily, where they're kind of focused on that, and that's going to be the right one that has overlap for them. And then for me, it's building a deck that is reactive to those swaths of the metagame primarily, as opposed to um, maybe decks that are trying to take slower approaches or trying to go over the top. Um, like the Atraxa decks, which can sometimes just fold to aggression um, because of the nature of the way their deck is built. Because they're not... I think the format is going to start shifting away from the mid-range decks being necessarily the best decks and necessarily being the thing that you need to be most concerned about um, into a thing where if you want to succeed and that's your goal, you should be prepared to, to sacrifice some points to mid-range decks, but you need to be getting points against these decks that have proven themselves in the last couple weeks. So that's really, like, where where my head's at. I don't know where your head was at, Spencer, um, as far as, like, what specific decks you, know, you were kind I, of looking towards. I actually
0: disagree with most of what you said. Um, like, maybe all of it. Um, you know, one of the things that was clear to me is that I believed that mono white was one of the three best decks and i believe the three best decks was red black x mid range esper legends and mono white and i just believe those are the three best decks um and then it was like okay which of these decks do i believe follows my rules of engagement and one of the really important ones to me was like mana bases and so uh i i think that i almost played I think if I'm being, like, really honest, I think I said this in my video, like, I almost played Gruel Aggro, which I think that if it was not open decklist, I actually would have played. Um, I know that that's, like, a hot-button topic, and I don't want to get into the hot-button topic, but I actually do think that, like, the number of games, the number of matches that I won with the deck on three matches because I get a game one win on the draw where I don't deserve it in an open deckless format is actually, like, a lot. And I think that anybody on the other side of this argument doesn't understand that. Um, Additionally, like, I think that one of the things I try to do going into this format is, like, really focus on what are the rules of engagement and where can I break the rules? And one of the things that I found about against for mono white is that it got to ignore a rule that I believe is really impactful that the... That Blood Tithe Harvester solves for a lot of decks. Especially Blood Tithe Harvester. Regular base Bankbuster decks. Which is like. Making meaningful plays before. Turn 3. Because one of the easiest ways to lose in this format. Is like. You don't do something early. And then you lose to a Fable. Or a Wedding Announcement. Or a Raffine, Because like. Turn 3 is like crazy. In this format. Like. Just. All of the best players are on turn 3. And one of the things I liked about Mono White is that it basically got to ignore that rule because it was trying to force the game to go way longer. And, like, I don't really care if your fable pops off. I don't really care if you're... I, the, the wedding announcement thing is actually kind of important in the mirror, but, like, it, 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 it's interesting. Um, the exception to this rule is actually Thalia. I actually think that Mono White has the Thalia problem. Um, and I, I won't pretend otherwise. But I I was looking at kind of every deck this way. Um, the, I would say that like, yeah, you know, a lot has changed in the last week for me between even writing the article and the recording the video. Like, I think would say that my final three decks were Rakdos, uh, Gruul, and Mono White. And the reason that I ended up on Mono White was it got to break a rule and then pass my other rules. Whereas, I think that Rakdos, I, I agree with what you said, but I, I do worry that, like, it's going to suffer from a lot of the same problems in the Mono-White matchup that Grixis, so, like, has.
2: Yeah, and I mean, to speak to my preparation, I think that in that both Grixis and uh, and Rakdos are pretty unfavored against Mono-White overall um but you know it's one of those things where we talk about a lot sometimes you have to have a plan and right. be okay with it not being good enough and there's not really a way to, to be right there's not really a way to be the boogeyman i want because i'm pretty afraid of
0: you have duress um, right and you get to play more duress than red black which is why i think i would have done what you did and go towards red black rather than because i think duress is really good against runaway, for example and like you just get to play four of them because like you know, you don't have to worry about as much stuff. So I really Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean my list is available in the in the Patreon uh, Discord and I'll probably be tweeting it out once um once you know deck lists are due um on Twitter so you can you can find it there. But I, I kind of took an approach of finding plans that are able to shut down uh shut down Mono White with the tools I have available in Rakdos. And while I don't think that's gonna be all of the time it's gonna work. I think that it will work enough of the time that I'm okay with it. And I also think kind of my own personal thesis coming into the event is that I think a lot of people will be coming in with decks targeted towards white more primarily than previously. And I think that that's going to hopefully add up to those decks doing a lot worse in aggregate. So when I'm, I, if I I'm, I'm the one wrong. making the deep run, huh?
0: <laughs> I said, I hope you're wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm we, winning, I hope I'm it, right.
0: The thing is, the thing is, is I think we ended <laughs> up winning, in the same spot, wrong. right? And this is, this is what I talk about a lot in, like, coaching. And, like, uh, you know, I had a coaching session just this week where I was like, you don't have to re- arrive at the same conclusion. I think Abe and I ended up literally in the same spot for this format. Like, the exact same spot. And we're just like, okay, well, here's how I'm going to... Abe was like, I'm going to next level this this way. I was like, I'm just going to next level by playing six Wraths in my seventy five. And like you know, one of the key cards like that I have that is Elspeth. I actually think Elspeth, uh, for example, like people are like really worried about the mirror. I don't know if you ever put a mirror with Elspeth in your deck or two of them, but like you just plus plus that girl, and like you have seven three threes with flying. Like that just happens. Um. So I I think we ended up in the same spot. I'm kind of curious, Mason. You know, we we've discussed the decks that we're playing. We discussed the decks that we were thinking yep. about. It, where would where do you think you would have ended up?
1: Yeah, because I've stayed on top of the format for you know coaching and stuff like that. I haven't been grinding out all the games, everything that y'all have, but I have not been you know like uh, not thinking about it. I think that where I sort of land on like the best decks, or what Spencer said, uh, I I kind of clump rectos and Red Black. I'm sorry, Grixis and rectos together. I kind of think it depends on what's going on in the metagame. I do think Rakdos is slightly better right now. But yeah, Grixis, White, and Rakdos are kind of where I'm at at the moment on the best decks. No, you mean Esper?
0: Esper Legends?
1: Yes, sorry, that's what I meant. I misspoke twice. I'm so sorry. Long day. Uh, But yes, Esper Legends, and I feel pretty good about it. I would be the guy that's like, listen, we all keep saying Esper's good, but no one wants to play the deck where you have to mulligan and curve out and attack people and sort of put people to the test. And I am kind of down to just put people to the test in this format. I think my sideboard would look kind of different than a lot of things that I would have seen, but it would be very close to Haynes, um, just with I think more negates. And I have Strokes right now. And every time I play that deck, or I'm the villain for someone with that deck, or I engage with it, I'm just always very impressed. I think it's just a great, solid deck. And if someone was really unsure of what to play in the RC, I would tell them you should play Esper. You know, learn these sideboard plans, Mulligan well. You will do. Well, this deck is strong, and it's a deck that everyone—basically everyone—in every interaction I have says the top three deck, and no one ever plays. And I, and I think people are catching on that Esper is good in attacking it more. But I would be very much like, listen, everyone says they can do it, but like prove it to me because on the play, Thalia into Rafine into you know any three drop uh, or four drop is just like a really backbreaking curve, and having that sort of thing is something I value a lot in this format. So. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I'm, I can't at all discredit the amount of games that I've
2: lost in testing to my opponent going Thalia. those two cards in a row. Sometimes you will just win games. Your hand draws that and la- like lands and then spells the, beyond it.
0: Yeah, what was this like two years ago? Now I was like, Thalia is going to be a problem in standard, and y'all was, uh, were like laughing at me. And I was right the whole time. Gosh, it wasn't a problem. problem?
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's enabling is a, deck a very that,
0: clear problem in standard. Regular.
2: It is enabling a deck that is doing the most fair thing possible. That it's is, playing it's creatures. Not, it is. It's playing untapped
0: lands, creatures,
2: and attacking with it,
0: them. I, I would argue great. that its mana base is the best mana base in standard by a substantial margin, in like an unfair way, and thus Thalia gets to be the benefactor of that. But like, it also Thalia also just benefits creature decks. So anyway, I, I yeah. hate Thalia. I like. I will never register the card out of principle. No, that's not true. I, I, uh, one of my teammates is, is playing S for legends and like, uh, you know, we, we got to talk about it's Patty B and G let's go. Um, and you know, I, I think that, I think that acts really good. I don't, I, I actually knew that was going to be answer Mason, but I, I do think that, I, I think that, I think that there's a rock, paper, scissors, I think that the Grixis decks and the Raktos decks can actually beat Esper Legends built the correct way and I, I think that my deck is not favored against Esper Legends I, I want to be clear I think that it has a well, how many matches is it it's like on this one it's it's Esper Legends it's, it's only four matches it's like oh no no that's the wrong that's the wrong line Okay, it's actually a lot of matches. Uh, I mean, a lot being like 50. Uh, It's more than 50. But I I think that matchup is close to 50-50. But I I actually do think that, like, if you look at the way the Abe's deck is constructed, I actually think that Abe's deck is favored versus Esper Legends. Yeah, I do too. But think it also comes down...
1: Oh, sorry. uh, I I was just going to say that I'm kind of of the opinion that the red-black X decks can beat any deck they want. If they want to, oh sure, and they just have to want to. So, I, like, I actually
0: don't think they can beat Mono White. This was, this was, I think that the way that beat Mono White, if you're going to play that deck, is to play counter spells, which I think is bad in the format. So, I don't think they get to do it.
1: Yeah, but some people, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that they need to play counter spells in order to beat you. Um, and I, I don't know. I think that my sort of thoughts are is it kind of looks like Russian roulette to me. And I think you're a favorite in this thing. Like maybe your your gun has more more bullet or uh, more chamber slots for the bullet. But <laughs> this like is
0: the most interesting version of Russell Roulette, and I love it.
1: Yeah, you, you know you're playing with like a 30 mag clip, and I'm playing with like a 12. We both right? present our like...
0: deck lists to Mason before the event, Abe, and yeah. he puts bullets in our chamber, and then we just <laughs> shoot, and then whoever yeah. dies loses the match.
1: That's the most American analogy you can have. But this I, is I, I this do, is
0: when everybody was just not playing draft matches and just showing each other their draft decks and deciding who won.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I, I agree that like that is true, and I do think like Abe's deck is like got a lot of good tools for answering it. I just also think that even with that being the case, I really like a lot of what Hane did and a lot of what uh, Omar, I believe, yeah. uh, did and like. The Stowaways would, like, be in my version of the Hain deck, basically. And I think every time I play with that deck, with those cards... Like, the, gets the, is, you for, just run for over the people.
0: listener, that's the 2-mana 1-1 one, one that flips, right?
1: Yes, it's suspicious Stowaway. If the two mana one, one, it's a 2-mana 1-1 that's unblockable, if it hits somebody and it's daytime, you loot. And then if it's nighttime, you draw a card. Yep. And that card, I think, actually solves a good amount of the problems Esper has. So. I don't know if
0: it's a problem. I don't know that Esper actually has that problem. I, I played. Whoa. I played semester. Where I played against it. I think that deck just always draws the nuts, and it's really good. Um, <laughs> but sometimes you draw of... too much of the nuts, and then you get to fix it with the stowaway, or you draw to in lands.
2: Yeah, that that's the power of Rafine, though, right? You're just if you that's, get to the point, point, you London Mulligan to Rafine, and then suddenly you see twice as many cards as your opponent that game, and deal more damage while you're doing it. So you're shortening I, I the game think... for your opponent to catch up. And you're seeing more of your deck.
0: I do think that like this is something that I mentioned in the video is like Mono White, while I believe is the best like I actually believe Mono White is the best deck in the format. Um mm-hmm. I I think it has a real problem where it's the worst mulliganing deck in the format. Like by a substantial mm-hmm. margin. And I actually think that's a huge weakness.
1: Like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that's one of the things I love about it's yeah, the best. Yeah, that,
0: that's deck. actually what I was going to get into. Is the, uh, like, uh, any deck that's trying to curve out has like this insane advantage in the London Mulligan. And that is not what Mono White is trying to do. And it is at a disadvantage in the current Mulligan rule. And that's something I wanted to call out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mono White specifically is also just trying to play a big resource game. If you're familiar with like the Sam Black big game, little game uh, concept, if you're a listener. If not, I would go check that out. But it's trying to play a game where it amasses the most resources and then it eventually overwhelms you with them. And so the amount of setup required and the importance of making sure that you're taking actions in the early game to get to the late game is really, really pronounced for mono-white. So that's also another fact that makes it not mulligan well, whereas uh, Esper, because it's kind of building a house of cards, uh, you know... It doesn't need as much, it doesn't need all of its cards to win a lot of the time. It really just needs to have the right sequence and, and generate that space. So, um,
0: if you're watching on video, I sent a picture of this opener to Mason yesterday, Abe, and he told me that I had to mulligan it because they weren't stained glass.
2: Yeah, you do have to. You have to go get stained glass.
0: Um, and I informed Mason that I believe our first pick two set review where I asked to do lands. Were actually these lands, and Mason nosed it, so he didn't make it to the podcast.
2: For the audio listeners, and I, and we I, are looking at seven basic Theros Beyond Death full art. Yeah, plans.
0: I own twenty of every single one of these. Mm-hmm. I said I was going to buy them on the podcast, and that is what I'm going to play at the RC. So, let's go. Uh, Patreon question comes from Oni Boss. Uh, Every time I read this name, by the way, I'm just going to say this: uh, Oni is a Smash player that plays Steve. And every time I read this, I think of Steve in Smash Bros., which upsets me. So I hope you know that you upset me. Every- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, how do you deal with an opponent who is a sore loser during competitive? Pl- who is a sore loser during competitive play? I have. Had a lot of opponents like this, and I want to go first. But there have been times where I don't know how I would have dealt with this. And there was specifically a time where I was at Oasis Games, and it was a draft, and I was watching Michael Hinderocker play against an opponent. And every single draw step, combat step, like his opponent emoted negatively, like mulligan to five every time, like. Just emoted negatively the whole time. And I I think that this is a real question that people have to ask themselves. And the reason is because you have to be able to be prepared to deal with every type of human at a magic tournament. And what I learned from that experience watching Michael was Michael was really good at just ignoring it and moving on which I am not great at. Like, if somebody negatively emoted to me literally, like, 300 times during a match, I would probably tell them. Like, hey, you really ruined this experience for me, and you should go work on yourselves, is something that I would say. And what I learned from Michael in this situation is, like, if they're so far down this rabbit hole, which is where I think questions like this come from, what are you supposed to do? And I think the truth is, is, like, just be the less miserable human being, and move on like uh yeah i i I think that like in the worst situations you should ignore it in the situations where you could guess that like they're in a bad mood, they're supposed to gauge their mood mood and talk about talk about it, but the thing is, is like a competitive event it matters a lot to people. And I think that you could probably put yourself in their seat. And I think that's often why, like, people will apologize to me, like, when I have to mulligan to five. Or, like, when, you know, things don't work out a certain way and they can tell. And, like, you know, it's really easy for me to be like, oh, you know, that's magic. That's how it happens. But I also think that's why it's become common courtesy to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, the problem is, is that there's going to be a number of people that abuse that common courtesy that like are like oh i got so unlucky i i'll I'll give an example uh i was at a ppdq one time where my opponent was complaining about how many lands they drew in a loss against me and at the end of it i was like hey i just want to know like you have you have 12 lands in play and i have 19 and i absolutely crushed you in the mid-range mirror like you use your cards ineffectively and that's what i'm talking about where like i'm not good at this like, I am actively bad at this. Uh so Abe, give me some advice. Like, how do I how do I oh. not throw somebody into the garbage can for being a bad human?
2: Yeah, I mean it's tough, right? Like you when you play Game of Magic, especially over the table, the other person is very much there. If they're the other participant in the game, it's gonna be a thing. What I have learned to do, um, in part out of just, you know, kind of enjoying having the capability to do this to kind of shut out any sort of outside factor is just try to look at every game uh, that you're playing in paper. If it's really getting, getting you how the other person's acting, just try to look at it as a match you're playing on Magic Online. Look at the cards. Look at the game pieces. Focus on that. Play the game out. If your opponent wants to spend their time salting off, you have no obligation to be there, you know, Playing, playing a match of Magic is like being on an elevator ride. You are both there together with a common goal of getting to the end of it. And, you know, whatever the social interaction of it is really whatever you make it out to be. And if you arrive at your floor on an elevator with someone who is making you miserable, you can leave the elevator. So that's, that's kind of my... Now.
0: There was a long time where you had to wait for them to sign the match slip. And now with, uh, with the new system that is less true. So I really like this one.
2: I mean, yeah, you can also, I mean, sometimes you got to tell them, like, hey, man, I need to get off this elevator. And and you got to be like, can you sign this slip because I need to go? But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I I always say that the best thing you can ever do in these scenarios where are having trouble with an opponent is to try to focus on respecting the game in front of you, playing the game in front of you, focus on the cards, move on with your life afterwards, because it it is just, it's a drain when people are like that, and uh, it's, it's the best way around it.
1: Thoughts, I think I think my sort of answer and, and thoughts approach to this is so often like it is not my job to fix their day and to like fix their mood. And I'm not in charge of that I will often, you know, say something that try and make the person feel better who's in a sour mood. But if they are in a sour mood and aren't having it, then I won't like try to continue pushing on them. And to be honest, if they're in a sour mood and speak negatively To like a friend of mine or whatever then i sort of uh i call it vigilante justice where it's very easy for me to not mention how awfully you played and then if you are mean to a friend i will simply bring up how bad you played and you should just focus on yourself and that's sort of my thing here where if someone wants to be mad at me or talk to me about this i don't really care but if they get mad at my friends or start bickering at them so really what i'm saying is for me it's really easy just to get up and get away and you know tell them to have a good time and you know, I always tell people, and I think some people think I'm making fun of them, but I I legitimately mean it. Like in the words of Hannah Montana, everybody makes mistakes, everybody has those days. Sometimes you're just going to make mistakes; it happens. You need to understand that and move on. And it's really easy for me to sort of detach that self, my, that part of me from Magic and that because I don't care that it's happening. I'm going to play so many fun matches of Magic. They can be as mad as they want; it's fine. I came and do what I want to do. But when they get mad and start insulting a friend or attacking a friend, on or you know yeah. maybe I, harassing them then i get a little bit more frustrated <laughs> this friend isn't doing anything why are you doing this you know assuming they're not provoking them well um, no i so. think
0: i think what i learned is that mason and i are really similar like if you're rooting the tournament experience for somebody i'm probably gonna call you out on it like hey like mm-hmm. i watched this game or i participated in this game and this is actually what happened um yeah and, and what's so funny to me like is I think that you should, if you are the type of person that salts off a lot, this is something that I had to deal with in the last year in Smash, where I just, I think I talked about the show where I, like, noticed myself salting off just, like, so, so much in Smash.
1: Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you were really salty all the time.
0: Like, just all the time. It was unfun
1: at times. Yeah, yeah.
0: and, like, um, I mean, Mason and Egg got to see, like, me play just today like before the podcast and kind of hear how matt and i interact and it 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 comes down to like when you have to recognize that that in yourself be like hey am i even having fun doing this thing and like if not like what what's happening and if people are ruining that for you like why are they ruining it for you and for me like the thing in smash that like and honestly i i think i was this way in magic for a long time too Is recognizing like a sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. that we have to overcome when we think we've reached a certain level, and you know I I think that this is really hard to do when you get to like I don't know what the equivalent of a GP level is right now, but I think that that is the probably the level like the you know cashing your arena opens and then going to a tournament and getting crushed is probably really heartbreaking. And really hard to internalize, and like being becoming good at that is really hard. I know that's not an answer to your question. That's how you deal with these people. It's. I think Mason's right. It's. It's not your job. Like that. That's something they have to learn, and that's why I'm really bad at it because of doing this podcast for years. Is that I will tell them. So, but Mason, it sounds like you'll tell them too. <laughs> you'll just
1: tell well, well, I mean, like I, I try to be helpful or whatever, but like, you know, I, I can, typically I'll try and just remind them that they, it's normal that this sort of thing happens. And then if they're mean or whatever, then I remind them. My, my favorite way to be mean to somebody who's like barking at a friend or whatever, I say everyone has their first tournament or whatever, and they get me oh, wow. and then And then they go, I'm at the RC, this is my first tournament. And I go, oh, sorry, I couldn't tell. And then I walk away. You know, like that's my that's my favorite <laughs> one. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, ultimately, it's not your part, and you should just try to bring it up for everybody. But uh, if the way the best way to deal with it is just to not engage with that sort of thing and not have it bring down. You know, like I'm definitely not encouraging you to go around daggering and people, or whatever. Yeah, I, but I would uh, also say,
0: like, you should think about this in the inverse. Like I talked about that for for Smash, right? Like. You know, I, I, I really appreciate appreciate Mason, like, bringing up, like, I was probably miserable to play against uh, as my depression got worse during the pandemic. And I was trying to get really good at this game. And, like, I, 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 I was miserable playing it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that Magic, there have been multiple times where I was miserable playing Magic. And I would assume I would, if, if you had asked me my thoughts, which I have gotten better at not voicing... I would probably be miserable to hear my thoughts. And so if you're voicing your thoughts and you think that they sound miserable, maybe don't say them. True. So. uh, we had a YouTube comment that I wanted to call out because it was from Mikey, a shout out. Uh, he says this episode was absolute gasoline on our last week's episode about cyber cards. And I just want to talk about the power of just suggesting topics. Every week we talk about, you can join the conversation in Discord. You can join the conversation in the YouTube comments. You can join the conversation in a ton of ways. And this actually came from Kyle messaging Abe and saying like, hey, I think this would be a good topic. And it really resonated with people. This isn't the only thing we got. Like, I think all of us might have gotten messages or talked to you about how great it was. I didn't because I wasn't there, but okay
2: i i have heard nothing but good things from people about and and seen a lot of it too i think i think you guys really crushed on that episode
0: and you know this if if you have an idea for a topic that we cover that you want to learn more about like one of the things that we do on the show is like we don't just do a topic like hey here's our thoughts on it like we actually like what do we want to convey the message in this what is this episode about and one of the reasons that this episode that kyle had was delayed was we wanted to give it its justice Like we wanted to make sure that we were aligned on how we wanted to present the topic, what the topic was going to be about. So, you know, as we go into the wrap up, and I say join the conversation, join the public Discord, join the Patreon Discord, leave a YouTube comment, you know, tweet at us on Twitter. This is an option for you. Like, hey, I have an episode idea. Leave it in the YouTube comments. It helps us on YouTube, and also. I will probably message you if I really like your idea to break it down. Like I might even jump on a call with you. Like these, these things really matter. And this episode that Kyle had resonated with a lot of listeners. And I just want to shout out both Mikey for talking about how great it was. And also just, uh, I don't know how to say Kyle's last name. Is it R- Richard? Richard. Richard. Just shout to Kyle. Like what a great idea that resonated with a lot of people. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh if you wanna check out the rest of the network, head check out the uh Arena Mythicast should go up around the same time as this week's show. And then every week we have drafting archetypes. Uh you can know, like some like, sub, comment, and review. I try to sell that all at once. And then you know you can find me at on the podcast at CCMDG on Twitter. Um I am not accepting uh coaching right now and um, it, what's so funny is I said that last week, and people were like, "Hey, are you really not accepting?" Like, I want to get in. The FOMO does not help you. Uh, I actually like told three people I'm not doing it anymore, um, and I have exactly three people that I will still do it with, and I will let everybody know if I have an open coaching spot. So, uh, thank one, thank you. I I feel honored that you guys got FOMO for working with me after that episode, but. Uh, with just the new job and stuff. Uh, that's not something i doing, and then also just you know follow me about Smash. Uh, I probably will record Smash through this week. Uh, it's a monthly podcast that doesn't really get done monthly with me and Matt Kling, former goes at the show, as we try to improve it. Smash, and then uh, need to nerd a weekly podcast about just nerd culture. Like uh, this week I I think it'll probably go up around the same time as this podcast. But like we talked about our nerd our video game backlogs. And, like, how far they can get and how you shouldn't be ashamed of your video game backlog and the games you haven't played. Like, it just means you're excited to do something. Um, so, yeah, that's it for me. What about you, Abe?
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Um, you can also you can DM me there about coaching. Um, or you can shoot me an email at uh, more at And I can try to set something up with you. I probably only have room for one... More person for coaching for, um, you know, the next uh month or so. I'm looking pretty full as far as like what I have time for, but if you want to get in or get on the books, um, you know, I definitely encourage you to reach out. Um, but yeah, how about you, Mason?
1: You can find me over on twitter.com at uh, mason eclark. You can find me at slash the mason clark. Find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom. Writing about stuff this week, it's all about March of the Machine previews. It's hard to believe, but we're just two weeks away from the new set already coming out. It is wild times. And if you're interested in coaching, you can reach out to me via email, uh, masoneclark at gmail.com or via Twitter DMs. It is my full-time job. I have uh, a good amount of openings right now and always trying to make room for people on the weekend and stuff. And so if you think, hey, I might want to do this, feel free to reach out and we can talk and see if it's a good fit or not.
0: I, I just send all of those people your way, and what's even more interesting, Mason, is I mm-hmm. planned on this segment to give you an apology. I keep plugging Abe stuff, and then not realizing that, like, maybe you have people cancel that they realize they're not that committed. And I just felt bad the last two weeks, so I just want to give you a public apology for, you know, directing people, the yeah, I don't know, I don't know the wrong way, like, Abe's a great coach, but, like, I just was like you were so busy when you had that mm. that twitter post i don't know i just felt bad
1: you're all good it's all right i am uh busy i mean i work i so for people listening i work about i have about eight people a day for coaching which is a full work day some days are different like tuesday the podcast just eats so many of the late time hours that this is my slow day with six people but um you know like i i work a lot and i also work on weekends too and so you know, there I will make time for you, basically, and we will fix something out. Sometimes you're gonna have to wait a week or two, but, uh, you know, we will get you in there.
0: Uh, Mixon, I gotta ask you first because you're another one going to there. So, what did you learn this week?
1: Uh, I learned that the Grixis versus Mono Blue matchup is probably better than I thought. Uh, it might be an, an evolution with the times as well when I played it versus now. But I'm interested to sort of play a little Mono Blue versus Grixis. and see sort of Maybe I was just approaching the games wrong or whatever. Um, so that was a pretty interesting thing to see that the data is pretty staunchly against what the felt, what the feel was from two or three weeks, uh, probably three or four weeks ago now. So,
2: I learned that Mason is a workaholic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean he is, but uh, no, I learned um, that. Spencer and I, despite taking pretty different approaches to things, wound up in almost the exact same conclusions down to the point where, like you were saying on the podcast, uh, like during the main topic earlier, um, like my second choice was playing Monoway, and it sounds like yours was Rakdos. And just the fact that, like, that's made me feel a lot more confident going into this weekend that, like, I'm... I'm in a good spot because despite kind of following a hybrid of these new processes and old processes I have, I'm coming to the same ones, uh, same conclusions a lot about the format as you. So.
0: It's so funny because, like, mine was the exact same one where, like, I'm following a new process to pick a deck for this tournament, and then looking, also looking back on old processes, um, I, I will say that I do think that my second choice, had it not been open deck list, was Gruul. Um, I, I believe it has the best one-drops in the format. Um, but I also... I, I learned something really interesting when Mason was talking about Esper that I, I think I already knew, but it like kind of solidified it for me. And that it, just being the Thalia deck in a format uh, gives you an advantage when the format is a mid-range format and you get to be a Thalia mid-range deck. Thalia historically has been an aggressive card... You know, or like a... a, a uh, what's the word? A Prism card. And in this format, it's not that. It's just a card you get to play because you're a creature deck. And I don't know that that had registered to me before this podcast. And mm-hmm. I... I don't know. Maybe maybe even I made mistakes and like just being the best Thalia deck was actually the truth is kind of, like, where my head is at right now, but I'm also a self-doubter. I also think Abe's deck is insane against Thalia, and I think a lot of decks will have, like, a bunch of cutdowns to, like, not lose to, you know, that, so. I, I, I will say
1: this. Where's your cutdowns now when I'm on the play with my Skrell? That's all I'm saying. Dude, Skrell Thalia is just, there's no cure in that disease, dude. It's not beautiful.
2: When that happens, unless your hand you, is literally just running lockdown. removal skills.
0: Temporary Lockdown.
1: You enjoy that again, not Warren, in the end step. I learned another thing. I'm not process-driven, I believe, is a thought that people have. Multiple times on the show recently, Spencer said, Abe and I are really process-driven. I realized process this again.
0: Not, nope, that is not what I've said. You're actually saying you say? it wrong. What did I say? Abe and I are process-oriented results
1: Process-oriented. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant.
0: You, yeah. are, you are very process-oriented. You literally had an entire section of the podcast where you talked about building out like slide decks for your <laughs> for your people you're coaching you don't know you're a process-oriented mason but you are
1: no i know that's I'm, I'm just saying I, I feel like
0: it's it's, it's always says Abe and, I, and i'm and i like i guess i'm not <laughs> well to, before today i'd never noticed but i you are and- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm just i just you know mason i'm was, just
0: the other son
2: here that's what you gotta I remember
0: I'm, I'm just, I'm you. just a newer guy. Abe's the new, the new yeah. shiny toy, Mason. I've had you for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm you, everybody, for listening. Honestly, like <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode. It was a little longer than I expected, but I, I, I just really appreciated this. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We'll see you guys on next week on another episode of Constructed